magic day he passed my way and as we spoke of many things fools and kings this he said to me greatest thing you could ever learn Everybody. Welcome. Thank you for coming to Sisters with Invoices. Sisters with Brothers, because we got a, a bro here. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, this is um, so Sisters with Invoices right now. We have a collaboration with the Space Naval, and it's um, under Assemblies. Um, and Assemblies is um, a chance for groups like myself. Actually, Uhuru has a super tight Assemblies group. Um, Legend is here in the building. Uh, from Fuck You Pay Us. Uh, Uhuru's group is about um, solar power, right? How you can like create your own. Yes. Yeah. That's We're We're empowering the revolution by uh, learning solar technology, how to convert uh, energy from the sun into electricity. So we're going to apply it onto a like tiny house that we have through uh, Snatch Power and FUPU. Yeah. Let's give a round of applause for that. <laughs> so tight. So uh, Sisters with Invoices also like in conjunction with Uhuru and like maybe 10 other groups, we all are able to use this space and that's why we're here today. So, um, also a couple things I wanted to say. Last Sisters, I didn't give, it was actually the day that Nipsey Hussle passed. And um, in the moment of it, I didn't, um, as a moderator, I feel some responsibility for not facilitating like moment of silence um, and just a moment for respect for him and all the work he's done. So I just wanted to see if we can do that for a small moment. Um, Thank you guys. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, I kind of was plaguing my conscience for a while that, that I spaced doing that. And so just so much respect for him and what he's done. And um, yeah, so wanted to, to say that. Also too, just so you know, um, part of our programming with assemblies and naval is uh, reparations through reclaiming media um, so we are creating media as we as you speak as we speak. As you know, this is an open forum. Um, if you have knowledge, you're totally welcome to share it. We're going to let Jordy share what he's put together. But we are being recorded. So if there's anything that you say that you don't want, because it's going to be podcast, if that makes sense. So we can share this with other people, and they can empower themselves as well. So if you have anything you're saying that is sensitive, just please say I don't want to be 
you know, recorded. You don't have to say your names. We'll cut that out, you know. So don't feel like any obligation. Also, yeah, like we'll 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 edit that. So um, so yeah. So let's get into Jordy. I want to. Jordy's going to introduce himself, so you can kind of get to know him a little better. And then I'm going to move my butt out the way, so we can go through this presentation. So yeah. Hey, Jordy. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Emilian, thank you so much for having me here. Oh my God, thank and you. Thank for you, everybody, for coming. I'm really pleased to be here. My name is Jordy Cohen. I'm a trial attorney. I work at a law firm called Goldberg Sagala downtown. I'm a defense attorney at this point in my career, although I've done many different things. I've been practicing for about seven years. Uh, I primarily work in the area of insurance defense, which is a very, very broad category of, of things, but I'm a litigator. Does everybody know what that means? Ra raise your hand if you know what a litigator is. Uh, Uhuru. To my knowledge, a litigator is someone who, uh, I could be wrong. Okay, I could be wrong, but to my knowledge, a litigator is the person who um, does a lot of research for either, you know, like the, the client, I guess, or eh, the, per the example I'm thinking of is like, there was a person in a hospital and they had to do all the research um, from the trial, like the trial was. It's, you're right that litigators do a lot of research, but the main distinction I was trying to draw was between litigators and transactional attorneys. Oh yeah, These no, are two very <laughs> broad categories of attorneys. Transactional attorneys are attorneys that draft contracts, work on kind of perspective deals, right? Deal making, contract drafting, um, compliance law. Litigators are people who go to court. Uh, this talk is probably more appropriate for somebody who is a transactional attorney, but I'm here and I know plenty enough about basic law to give this presentation. I prepared this presentation, you know, somewhat in the dark, but I thought that what would be most helpful to talk about for sisters with invoices are two areas that are pretty important to freelancers, which are contract law and intellectual property law. So that's, that's the main thrust of this presentation. Uh, I'm hoping that this is a conversation and you know, feel free to interrupt me at any time and ask me a question. Please let me know if there's something you don't understand. Uh, in law school, they teach us not to speak like human beings sometimes, and uh, you know, we, 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 forget, we forget sometimes uh, how to talk to humans or how to talk like a human, for real. No, it's, it's a problem. So I'm gonna get into it. Oh, wait, really quick, Jordy, can you tell everybody where you're from and? Where I'm from? I'm from Santa Cruz, California. I went to law school in San Francisco, lived in San Francisco for maybe five or six years, and have lived in Los Angeles since 2011. I live in mid-city Los Angeles with my wife. Can I say who she is? Go ahead. So his wife is Erica Chidi Cohen, who is our second sister. Um, she's like, she's a good friend of mine, and Jordi is as well, so. Um, 
he hearing all the sisters speak <laughs> all the time. But also he is a dear friend and um, like one of the first like lawyers I've ever had proximity to, to ask questions and like kind of dismantle this like, you know, like fear of law, you know? And um, I wrote a post about it, but growing up, like every time I was like, mom, get a lawyer, mom, fight back. She's like, so expensive, too expensive, you know? And I just had this like fear of like, oh, like, you know, fighting in, in terms of like using le legal, like, um, and being versed in legality and um, all of those things. So I thought, how cool is it for all of us to do this all together and to get to know this process together? So thank you, Jordy. I'm gonna move out of the way so you can do your thing. But before I get into the slides, mm -hmm. I also wanna know a little bit about our audience here so I can you know, facilitate the conversation a bit more. Um, I presume that I'm talking to people who are freelancers and creatives as the, as the presentation is titled, is that right? How many of you are How, freelancers? You can raise your hands. hands. Okay, I'd like, to, yeah. I'd like to hear a little bit about what some of the audience members do. Miss, what's your name? Maya. Maya, what do you do? photographer. We could pass okay. the mic, pass that, the that mic around. That definitely qualifies. Yeah, pass the pass mic around. Okay, yeah. so have everybody introduce yourself and what you, what you do. Yeah. And you could pass, pass oh. it. Oh, you're passing? Okay. It's permitted. You are allowed to pass. Thank you. Uh, my name is Maya as well. Hey, girl. Um, <laughs> and I'm a filmmaker. Hi, my name is Zakari. Um, I've done some freelance journalism and modeling. Hi, my name's Adis. Um, I've, I've do, done a lot of different types of freelancing things, creative directing, um, set designing, um, and uh, content uh, production and creation. Hi, everyone. I'm Christy Kane, and I do freelance styling. Hi. <laughs> Hi, my name is Jay Mack. I am a jack of all trades. I'm a freelance chef, a freelance and Afrofuturistic artist. Um, I produce, I mix my own music. I release it when I feel like it or when I have the funds. I dance and I act. My name is Uhuru, freelance uh, musician, artist, filmmaker, etc. Just kind of like creative direction or Art. Hi, I'm Sean. I make documentaries. Hi, I'm Sarah, and I'm a costume designer, stylist, and I'm moving on to fashion film directing. Hello, I'm Naya. Um, I'm a film composer and artist, singer, dancer, yeah, creative direction, you know. Hi, I'm Joan. Um, I'm a freelance production designer and occasional seamstress for a million. <laughs> Hi, I'm Shaprice and I'm a songwriter. Good evening, I'm Audrey. I freelance as a creative strategist, writer, and editor with this focus in um, tech and cannabis. Hi, I'm Kalila, also a freelance writer focused in music, art, and culture. Um, I also do tarot readings, and I'm moving into A&R and music management. Hi, I'm Mel, and I do makeup. 
Hi, I'm Imani, and I freelance in uh, production. Hi, I'm Francesca. I freelance in production. I'm just moving into uh, representing artists, uh, directors, and photographers. Hello, I'm Samantha. Um, I do a few different things in freelance, um, choreography and movement direction, casting, curating, and DJing. Hi, my name is Antonise. I'm an artist, chef, and a model. Hi, I'm Cece. I'm a pastry chef. Hi, I'm Soren, and um, I'm a freelance designer, and I own a bag company. Hi, I'm Brenda. I'm a designer. <laughs> Thank you. Give yourselves a hand. Thanks a lot. Thank you, guys. All right, cool. There we go. What's a contract? A contract is an agreement to do or not to do a certain thing. The second part of this slide says, once entered into a contract gives rise to an obligation or legal duty enforceable in an action at law. What that means is that contracts create a legal duty. When a contract is broken, there's a legal duty to pay damages. It's called breach of contract. Does that make sense to everybody? When I say damages, do you know what I mean? It means money. This is what all civil litigation is about, meaning not criminal litigation. It's all about money. When a contract is breached, the breaching party is expected to pay damages. The essential elements of a contract are parties capable of contracting, consent to the contract, terms clear enough that the parties can understand what's required of each other, and also a lawful purpose, and consideration. Consideration is a very important concept in the law of contracts. It's a kind of obtuse sounding word, but basically what it means is that each party is giving something up. If I hire Maya to take some photographs for me, what, what, do, you, what do you charge? What's your day rate? About like 80 an hour. Okay, if I hire Maya to take some photographs, it's $80 an hour. The consideration for that contract is the $80 I'm agreeing to pay her. The consideration that I'm giving is I'm agreeing not to hire somebody else. It has to be on both sides. The reason I tell you this is because it's a very essential term of contracts. If you're not giving something up, it's not an enforceable contract. For instance, if Maya just said, I'm going to shoot a day for you for free, and then she didn't show up, I could not sue her because I didn't give anything up. That was what's called a donative bargain, like she was just donating her services, right? There needs to be consideration on both sides.
These are some common provisions of a contract. Now, I created a sample contract that I think has been handed out. That's a very, very simple contract. That contract is, is the simplest terms possible. It's just basically a blank scope of work in exchange for money. I did that for a couple reasons. Um, I, I wanted to show something that was really, really basic and also you know, every contract is different. I can't, couldn't, I can't just give you a blank form in good conscience and say like, just use this for everything. Um, but I will tell you this, freelancers I think should feel empowered to make their own contracts. This stuff is not that complicated. And I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. Most of the time when lawyers have to create work for a client, I don't care who you are or what firm you work at or what it is, they go and they search for a form, somebody who's already done it, and they just recycle it. That's what we do. It's, it's, it's true. <laughs> it's totally true. It's totally true. If, some, if one of you hired me to draft a contract, I mean, I, I have some contracts, but I would, that's where I would start from. Or if I, it, was something, it was about something particular that I didn't know about, I would go on the internet or on some kind of other resource and I'd find an example. I, I see a question in the back. Hold on, hold on, let me bring the mic over there. Um, would, email, would email be cons considered as a form of contract? That's a great question. I, I was going to get to that later, but let's just talk about it now. How many people in this room think that an oral contract is enforceable? Not that many people. Is it truly only four or five of you? Oral contracts are totally enforceable. Totally enforceable. Well, yes. I said how so unless well, how so unless it's like recorded. You have proof of the oral. Well, that's that, that's that's right. I mean, I think that's a good observation. A court of law will enforce an oral contract. The question that Samantha brought up is how do you prove it up? it really helps to have some writing that's evidence of the oral contract. This, what, you know, and that's why in your business dealings, hygiene is really important. I do this all the time. You get on the phone with somebody, you reach an agreement, you send that email, boom. Like, just send it. And this, this gives you a lot of power because you're framing the conversation. You can you can, you know, kind of control the record of what the conversation was if you send that contemporaneous email. It's really, really, really important thing to do. Yes. Tell me your name. Uh, hi, I'm Sean. Hey, Sean. I, uh, I wanted to, to add something to that comment because in, uh, a really good example of oral... Uh, contracts being enforced is for documentaries. So uh, what we do a lot of the time is when we don't think someone is, or someone's going to get spooked when they are see a release form, is we just point the camera at them and we ask them if it's okay that we film them. And if they say yes, that is enforceable. So that's something that you can easily take advantage of. And so if you say yes, you don't need to fill out a contract. They can use your photo and your image as much as they want. There you go. Yeah. That's, that's a great example, Sean. Thank you. So, yeah, I need another question back there? Wait. 
So is like a deal memo the same as a contract? Is a deal memo the same as a contract? Um, I'd, have to, I'd have to see it, but probably not. There are some distinctions between something like a deal memo or what's commonly referred to as a memorandum of an understanding and a contract because, yeah, do you, you want to ask Can you that? explain what a deal memo is? Because I've, I've gotten deal memos as a wardrobe stylist. You might need to explain it to me because I don't okay. exactly know what that is. So if you get a job booked as a freelancer, like depending, like usually I get them when I have like a really high budget job, they'll send me uh, a PDF saying, hey, a million is um, like slated to be paid, like 5K for blah, blah, blah. It's, it's pretty much like a letter saying, hey, like we have confirmed that this is the deal that we made, like, but it's just like a like kind of a lump budget of like, you know, like 20K and that's like the 20K that I use to, to do the job and it's from usually the, um, the production company. Um, I, I, I don't really understand them because I've never, like I get them and I'm like, okay, but <laughs> I, yeah, that's, those are the, I've gotten deal memos. Uh, hard to say. I mean, this is where my limitation is because I'm not an entertainment attorney. I've done like a little bit of that work, but that's not, it's, that's not what I do on the regular. But the, the really common answer that you get in law is it depends. It depends on what the terms of that are. It depends, you know, how how um, how thorough the terms are. If there are the all the essential terms, it could be considered a contract. It could be considered evidence of an oral contract. Do you have more? No, you answered. Okay. From my understanding, and I work with this quite a bit, uh, deal memo is separate from what is called work for hire, so it's a kind of contract. And usually you have a deal memo instead of a work for hire if you are, uh, sometimes if you have a stake in the project, it's pretty, like, the, if you have a stake in the success of the project, you definitely have to sign a deal memo because everything that you get after the fact uh, needs to be in writing. Uh, and uh, especially if you're going to get a very significant credit as well. So it has to do with, more, usually deal memos are different from work for, than work for hire in the fact that you still have some kind of uh, relationship with the work once it's completed. We're going to talk about work Thank for hire for provisions. And, I, and I, I think that is an important distinction you brought up, Sean. Um, that's one of the provisions that's listed on this slide. Uh, I'm just going to go through them. Scope of work is obviously what's, what the kind of work that's being delivered in the contract. Most contracts have payment terms if they're for services. Not just how much, but the method of payment, the manner of payment, all that stuff can be set forth in the contract. A lot of contracts have termination provisions. You know, how does this deal end? What are the party's rights after the deal ends? Work for hire and assignment clauses are what Sean was talking about. This is about assignment of intellectual property rights. Does everybody know what intellectual property means? Can you explain? I, well, yeah, I'll explain. The two, the three, I think that's maybe my next slide. The three more, most common forms of intellectual property are copyright, trademarks, and patents. 
So a work-for-hire agreement means that you're assigning your intellectual property, usually your copyright, or some, it could be a patent in the, in, if, if it's in a developer, to, usually to the person who is hiring you. So for instance, an employee who works at Disney, who creates slides for an animation, I'm sorry, cells, animation cells, right? They're creating stuff. It's technically their material, but because they're hired by Disney, it becomes Disney's intellectual property through these kind of work for hire provisions. Um, confidentiality and non-disclosure agreements are really common contractual terms. You have another question? Go ahead. I'm sorry. Not a problem. So, uh, work for hire, right? I'm a chef, and I go into people's homes and cook for them. Should I have like a contract to say work for hire to have them sign it to make sure that I get paid? Because there's been times where I haven't got paid all of my money. I don't think the work for hire provision has to do with that issue, but we can talk about um, you know what what provisions you do need. I think for most of you, you you would be it would, you would see a work for hire provision more in the context of uh, a contract that like a company's giving you. If a, if a company's hiring somebody who's a photographer or a filmmaker or a stylist, they may have a work for hire provision in that contract. So you can't later come and claim, you owe me money for my intellectual property that you used in this ad campaign, right? That's the purpose of that provision. Arbitration provisions are increasingly common in all contracts. Has anybody ever seen one of these? Can you define arbitration? Yeah, well, if you look at almost any contract that you come in contact with these days, especially with corporations, it's going to have an arbitration provision. Arbitration is a private judicial system, not through the courts. It's through private arbitrators or neutrals. Um, it's a really, it, it, I mean, they're, they're, very, they're very difficult provisions to get away from just because they're everywhere these days. The idea of it is to basically um, restrict people's access to the courts. If you go to arbitration, you do not have the right to a jury trial, and it costs a lot of money. It can cost, you know, just the filing fees are probably, you know, $1,500. Then you need to pay the arbitrator, the arbitrator hourly, as opposed to the court system where, you know, you can represent yourself in court and it costs $450-something to file a lawsuit in California. And then you're off to the races and you don't pay the judge. It's all, you know, part of the public system. But you see these all of the time and they're, you know, the Supreme Court has said they're enforceable. They're definitely enforceable in California, so it's just something to know about. Yeah, that's my question about, okay, so what is, what would you recommend that people do? Because they are everywhere, even like in like cell phone contracts or any, you know, like anything you do now. So it's like, do you, would you recommend like, oh, well, we're going to have to go into negotiation and this is where you send back a, your own contract without arbitration provisions? You know, do you yeah, just kind of have to bite the bullet? 
You, like, you do have to eat it most of the time. Right. I mean, what can you do? You got to fly. You got to fly on an airline, right? And you're going to have to sign an arbitration provision to get your ticket. I mean, you don't sign anything, but it's you contract just by purchasing the ticket. There's arbitration provision in there. Almost anything you do as a consumer, you're going to be agreeing to arbitration, and that's just that just is what it is. If you are doing a deal with somebody and you have some leverage, it might be something you want to consider. Or if you know if you feel like you're doing a deal with somebody and you're in the, maybe you're hiring somebody and you're more in the position where you feel like this, I, I have a possibility of getting sued, maybe you want the arbitration provision in there because it makes it less likely that the person will sue you. I think, I think that's true in a, in a consumer and freelancer uh, context. So, I mean, there's, there's many different ways to look at arbitration provisions, but I think for most of the people in this room, and for myself included, that's what it's about. The next slide is about work for hire. This is some language from the United States Copyright Act. This is a federal statute. When I say statute, I mean a law. A law that's on the books, codified, code. This talks about the circumstances in which a work can be considered a work made for hire. That's the, that's the technical language, work made for hire. The first one is if it's prepared by an employee within the scope of his or her employment. That's like the Disney animator I talked about, right? They're a Disney employee. The second part of it is a lot more fraught and it's something that's not commonly understood uh, even even by some professional contract drafters, if one is an independent contractor as opposed to an employee, a work for made for hire um, can only be one of these nine enumerated categories in the second part of this slide. As a contribution to a collective work, as part of a motion picture or other audiovisual visual work, as a translation, as a supplementary work, as a compilation, as an instructional test, as a test, as an answer material for a test, or as an atlas. I feel like we're getting a bit into the weeds here, but it's important to know when you're assigning your work for hire it may not actually be enforceable. And a lot of the times what, what you know, someone who hires a freelancer will do will also have an assignment, an assignment uh, agreement that's a supplement to the contract. It's another agreement that says, not only are you, is this the work considered a work for hire, but you are assigning all of the intellectual property rights in what you're doing to the company or the, whoever's hiring you. Does that make sense? So that means we like when we when we agree to work for this company, we have zero rights. Doesn't mean you have zero rights. It means that you're property. It means that you are giving up your intellectual property. I mean, well, let's think about why it's important for a company. Okay, I'm going to go back. Maya's just on my mind. She's in the front row. Photographer. And this is going to make more sense when I when we start talking about intellectual property. She's a photographer. 
She gets hired by a major company to do an ad campaign. She's shooting photographs of models. She, she gives them to the company. Technically, the photographs are her intellectual property. She owns them. And what the work for hire assignment clause says, you're assigning your rights in those photos to us so we can do whatever we want with them. Does that make sense? Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about intellectual property. Hold on, we have one question over oh, yeah. there. Yeah, tell me your name. My name is Zakari. Um, so if Maya wanted to use those photos and like publish like a photo book, like a photography photo book, would she have to like consult those people who wanted it originally or you know that was originally her intellectual property so that one assignment is sort of just you know does it have like an end of does it end like is there a term of assigning you know yeah great question great question like all things i'm going to keep coming back to this it really depends they describe in law school they use this analogy they describe property rights like a bundle of sticks, okay? Like the whole bundle is like all of the rights. So if you're assigning your photographs to the company, like uh, in perpetuity, all the different rights, then they're getting the whole bundle. But you can hold some of them back. You say, okay, I'm assigning the rest to you, but I'm still maintaining the right to publish the photographs as part of a compilation of my own work, right? You can still, you can give some of the sticks and still hold on to some of them. Does that make sense? So it depends. It depends what's in that assignment. Samantha? Well, let me give you the mic really quick, Sam. Um, yeah, I just wanted to go into that a little bit deeper. I'm curious because, I mean, oftentimes it's just not very stated what you have. If you're not signing, freelance, if you're not signing a contract, unless you're stating exactly what it is that you're giving, you know, your service or being like very detailed, it's not stated. So for example, like if you were to do something, let's say for Nike as a freelancer, unless you're signing a paper that says you give them all the rights or that you reserve the rights to your photographs, if you wanted to publish a book, like just let's use that example. How does she know? Or how, like, can they come at her? Like nothing is... I think I'm going to answer that question in, in, the, in, the, in the course of these slides. Okay. So let's, let's come back to that if we need to. Okay. I'm gonna move on to talking about intellectual property. Like I said, the three most common forms are copyright, trademark, and patents. For our purposes tonight, we're gonna talk about copyright and trademark. Not so much about patents, but I can answer any questions about patents that you have. Copyright is authorship fixed in any tangible medium of expression. Again, this is, this is a definition from the US Copyright Act. Do we understand what that means? Authorship fixed in any tangible medium of expression. For example, people have any examples? You know, does anybody know what I'm talking about? Go ahead. Cardi B. Oh. <laughs> um, your music, your lyrics, your books, your poetry, uh, a recipe, anything that you write down, your nephew or your nibbling writes something and you want to copyright, you can copyright that idea. 
That's that's exactly right. Go ahead. How Cardi B copyrighted Okr? How do you say it? Yeah. There you go. Well, yeah, that's 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 probably an interesting example. But she trademarked it. Oh yeah. We're, we're going to talk about that. So, but but you don't have to register it. The moment that you put your thoughts down into that tangible medium of expression, a photograph, a line of writing, a painting, then that's copyrighted. That's how it works. So you said I don't have to uh, do anything, I don't have to pay for anything, or uh, go online, or the government, or something? No, you do not pay for copyright, although there, there is a way to get a, a registered copyright by sending something in to, uh, I don't know the federal agency, but it's, it's pretty uncommon. Uh, most, most people would not have to do that. Uh, go ahead. I see a lot of, a lot of, a lot of hands Actually, out here. Actually, um, they just passed some new laws where we have to copyright. And if we don't and somebody does it before us, we're kind of screwed, just like trademarking and patents. Well, again, it comes down to proof. It comes down Ooh. to proof if you did it first. And that's where, that's where sending it into the copyright agency is important, but I, I'm telling you, not, not that many people do that. I do have a question too, so, because this is the thing where it's like, oh, poor man's copywriting, like, oh, you had lyrics, you wrote them, you can mail them to yourself, and yes. don't open the envelope. That's exactly right. And the date, and the proof of the, like, physical, handwritten lyrics becomes your, you know, your copyright, but then... I mean, this 2019, and like you were saying, there's all these new laws and technicalities. What about social media? This is something I've been wondering about. What about social media, like physical proof and evidence of time, location of performance, of writing, of like, or documentation via platforms if you published your writing or your song on iTunes or whatever? Is that not, I don't understand how that couldn't even be considered as, if the, if the poor man's copyright is supposed to be valid, then like, wouldn't social media yeah, documentation why not? of time? Yeah, it would. You know? I think it would. Okay. Like we said, look at the definition. Authorship fixed in any tangible medium of expression. Is social media a tangible medium of expression? Yeah, it's writing, for sure. Definitely. I, Go ahead. I just uh, want to say to what she was just saying. Yes. I feel like it would be harder to make a copyright with social media because it's so many forms of internet and you can find something easy and look it up and put it on social media where nobody has ever posted it. That doesn't mean it's yours. You could still you could have still stole it from someone. Right. So, so, so the internet is so huge. I think what you're getting at is I mean I think I think what you're getting at is showing proof of who came up with something first. Is that right? Exactly. Like, how, how can I say that I didn't still write just because I posted it on social media before that person did? Well, like Uhuru said, the old school method used to be, yeah, you put it in an envelope and mail it to yourself. It's sealed. You have that, that evidence. Nowadays, I guess they could just look at the, the data and see when things are posted. Also, I think it's important to, like, when, like I don't know, personally, I'm, like, be careful of your ideas before you put them on the internet. You know what I mean? Maybe do what Uhuru said and, like, do an old school method and then put it online if you have that many eyes on you, you know? And, um, that, and that gets us to our next slide, and I'll take these questions, but just because that was such a great segue. This is... I don't know if you take oh, 
I think we have three people that wanted to say something to that. Really, okay. Is that cool? I, I'm just going to, okay, go ahead. Real quick, I just want yeah. to say that uh, it's been a lot of incidences where people have posted uh, their songs or their beat, and like big stars like French Montana, Beyonce has used them and stole them and has, with no repercussions. So that's why I say social media is not always the best way to say, oh, I did this first. That's all I wanted to say. Well, look, if somebody, if, if French Montana used somebody's beat, that person could sue him for copyright. He could sue him for copyright infringement, right? That's what he's doing, right? So there is always, there is, there is always um, that. You can, you can litigate for copyright infringement. The Copyright Act provides for it, and uh, the, you, you have to prove your damages, and I think there's also some statutory damages. Oh, oh yeah, okay, so, and then we'll go. Go ahead. What if your work includes uh, like a, an abstract version of somebody else's work? Right. This is this gets into some real shades and complexities here. Basically, a really basic formulation of the the jurisprudence. What the courts say about this is that the work using another copyrighted work has to be sufficiently transformative. Um, I did not prepare like a, lot of, like, like a lot of examples about this today, but there's some very famous recent cases. There's one involving Richard Prince and, and who used, um, do people are, people are familiar with the visual artist Richard Prince? Yeah, we can pull it up. All right. Say again. He did those pieces where it was like he took like really popular Instagram girls accounts, screenshotted a post, and then he added or commented commented, fake commented on the posts and printed them large format and placed them in the Gagosian, I think it was. And he's been doing this for a long time. Wow, that's trash. So, yes. Yes, and one of his, one of his most famous early works is a nude photograph of a teenage Brooke Shields that he just put up in some like really crummy gallery in Soho. And I mean, he didn't even take the photograph, but people considered that to be his art. It's about context, right? I mean, the, the difficulty in talking about this stuff is it's, it's very, very philosophical. I'm trying, to get a good, I'm trying to get a good image of this up. So, what we're seeing here on the left is the original work. I can't remember the name of this photographer. On the right is Richard Prince's work. This, Richard Prince just took this guy's work. He, he, you know, he put some circles over the guy's face and he put it in a gallery and it's like worth a million dollars now, right? And so this guy sued him. He said, so you trash. took my work. What did the court say? The court said, yes, Maya. Wait, hold on here, Maya. I would imagine that they said... Um, this has changed enough. 
it, this is yeah. sufficiently I would transformative. I, I don't agree with that. I mean, I think that the original photographer should receive a piece of the proceeds, period. That's why it's interesting. That's why it's a fraught topic of conversation. Reasonable minds can differ, but that's, that's what the court said. Court said that's, that's transformative enough. Yes? I'm sorry. This doesn't have to. This is. Do you know about FBNs and DBAs and all that? Can you speak in the mic? Oh, sorry. Do you know about FBNs and DBAs and all that? Like, like ownership. Of, doing businesses. Like doing businesses. Do okay. You know about that? Yeah. So, um, so we were talking about copyrights and having proof about, um, like names and stuff on social media. Right. So if somebody, um, like somebody posted a name of something and then somebody else like gets a DBA or FBN of the name of that they use how does that work like this is more in the realm of trademark and we'll get trade there okay so I should just wait we'll get there remember copyright ideas fixed in a tangible medium of expression that's that's what a copyright is you you take the photograph it's copyrighted you write something down you write down the lines of poetry or you you know you re record the song copyrighted that's it. That's what it is. Go ahead. Okay, so it's gonna. I want to go to copyright and then a little bit into trademark about that. Yeah. Um. So for copyright, just an example about music. I recently just copyrighted my music. Fifty five dollars. It's annoying. It's a long process. I just save the templates. So I don't have to do the same thing over and over and over because they're really annoying. Um. So let's say I copyright this one song, but then I put it in a part of a project. I have to copyright the whole project, and then eventually I have to individually copyright each song, right? So you're talking about registering the copyright. What I'm saying is you have a copyright on it as soon as you record it, but you're going the extra step to register it because what it gives you is a presumption. It gives you, a, if you ever have to go to court, you have a rebuttable presumption that you own the copyright once you get that that um, that I was just saying how much does it cost to copyright something like a well, song I think, tell, me, tell me your name again miss uh, I'm, I'm they my pronouns are they them theirs I'm, I'm just Jay um, about copyright. It costs $55 um, electronically to submit and register your work um, through copyright. I just, that's just what I did for music, particularly. I don't know about any other type of work. I'm still figuring that out. Okay, yeah. Also, please please feel free to Thanks, say your Jay. pronouns. No, no disrespect. Thank you. Um, my question is about ideation. So, like, in the like as a creative director, I work a lot with um, artists who are trying to create visuals and stuff like that for um, their music and, and whatever else. And oftentimes, before I mean, there is a an understanding that we'll work together, but there's usually like a almost like a consultation part where you um, offer up ideas, whether in the form of a treatment or in a brainstorming or ideation session. And I have two questions. So like at what point, or, well, I guess double part, at what point um, do they have, I guess, um, the rights to those ideas? And then also, if in fact, you know, whatever, you go one way with them or without them, can, if you, can you use those same ideas that you brought to the table in that consultation session somewhere else, if, if in fact you so desire? 
Okay, I'm gonna take, I'm gonna take it in reverse order. Okay. The second question, if you pitch your ideas to somebody, can you take them somewhere else? Yeah, they're your ideas. The first part of it is a lot more difficult, which is how do you keep your ideas safe when you're pitching them around, right? This is where non-disclosure agreements sometimes come in. The other thing, the other thing that can be very valuable for art, freelancers or artists that are pitching ideas is the idea of a implied in fact contract. This comes from a really important California case, which actually I had up on the slide, called Desney versus Wilder. Everybody know who Billy Wilder is? No. Does anybody know? He's a, he's a famous film director. He made his, probably his most famous movie is called uh, Sunset Boulevard. Great, great movie. You should all see it. <laughs> so this is a case from 1956. Basically, this guy called Billy Wilder's production studio, this guy Desney, and he pitched him a movie idea. And then Bill Wilder made a movie that was similar to that, and he said, hey, you took my idea. And the question was, did he have an enforceable right? And the court found in this case he did because he had an implied-in-fact contract because he said, if you use it, then you have to pay me. Mm. Okay? And that's, this is a really important tool for freelancers. You have that pitch meeting and then you write them an email. This is all it takes. Have the pitch meeting, write them an email. By the way, we talked about A, B, C, and D ideas and if you use those, we agreed, we agreed that if you use those that you will compensate me. I mean, that's, awesome. that's enough to have an enforceable right right there. I have a most, question. Most courts will say, go ahead. Is that enforceable? Because I, I find this a challenge for myself with sending mood boards for jobs and people are always asking me for my moods. Is it enforceable for myself to say after I send the mood or that, that my ideas must be compensated? Well, well yeah, you gotta, you gotta get them to agree to it. You, I mean, you do that in, you say, I'm sending you this. I'm sending you the mood board. If you're agreeing to use my ideas, then I expect you, my expectation is you'll compensate me. And they'll say yes or no. I and, mean, and the then process, once you, once, you, once you, yeah, you can send it after. The problem with stuff like mood boards is uh, it's pretty, you know, ideas in a mood board are pretty amorphous. Yeah, it's abstract. It's hard. It's it would be dead hard to prove somebody stole your creative ideas from a mood board. Oh, sorry, no. What? Well, not really. I mean, someone can, there's, there's lots of style biters out there, right? And somebody can go check out your work, like your aesthetic, and say, hey, we're going to use some of what this person's doing, right? But I mean, in terms of the mood board situation, like if you send, some, 
uh, more in terms of the mood board. So like if you send someone a mood board or like a, a treatment of your ideas and those ideas are in line with a through line in your body of work and it's consistent with the aesthetics and the themes that you use all the time um, and they decide to go with someone else but use your idea, would that be would it be provable and enforceable? Well, I don't think, I don't think it's of a lot of consequence that it's in line with your work. I mean, once you send them the mood board, uh -huh. we already said that's kind of our, your ideas fixed in tangible medium. You already have some kind of intellectual property claim there. Okay, I had a question. I'm not sure what it's called, but I stole it from someone else. It's like at the end of your email. Yeah. Um, and it's just, I don't know if that would be a non-disclosure agreement in and of itself too, but either way, it's like, all the content in this email is, it, it, I reserve the right to this, you know, you don't own this property, yep. I'm sharing with you, this yep. is between us. Like, could something like that help secure conversation about ideas, if, even if it's something as abstract as a mood board? You know, I don't send a, send a lot of mood boards, but I send photographs, I send, um, you know, I send a lot of ideas or whatever, visuals, and I'm like, I have that at the bottom, because I feel like it does protect me in some way versus yeah, just putting my stuff onto someone else. Like, what do you know what that is called, and do you think it's legally helpful to an independent contractor? I, I don't know without seeing the specific language, but what I'm trying to say is you should get in the habit if you are sharing your ideas with other people, tell them I'm sharing these ideas with you with the expectation that you will compensate me if you use the ideas. That's the implied in fact contract. Because, let's look at this quote from Desney versus Wilder. This is, I believe, the California Court of Appeal. Generally speaking, ideas are as free as the air and as the speech and the senses, and as potent or weak interesting or drab as the experiences, philosophies, vocabularies, and other variables of speaker and listener may combine to produce, portray, or to comprehend. Ideas are as free as the air. You tell someone your idea, they can take it. That's the law. You don't have any right to your idea until you fix it into a tangible medium. Ideas are as free as air. Questions? Well, I guess I'm just thinking about like a, I feel like the freelance culture a lot of times, like because we're so used to not having, signing a contract and just sending an invoice at the end or a lot of times not even defining like exactly what work we're gonna do in the email, just kind of assuming or like taking on more work maybe than we should do because we know how much we're gonna get paid. I guess my question is more about, I mean, yeah, the simple thing is to be like, okay, start doing it, but there's also this weird kind of, I think, like, energy and unspoken thing that, like, oh, if I'm too forceful with, like, this, then they're probably not going to hire me, which is so fucked up, but, like, how, I don't know, how do you start getting past that? It's a tough thing to navigate, but, again, it's just about having leverage, right? And it's one of the tough parts of the creative industry is when you don't have uh, you know a lot of power people take advantage of you or I've had people be like okay just, there's no contract for this 
you want to say it in the mic? Yeah. Um, I, I've had people be like, oh, for this, there's no contract. So just like send us your invoice at the end and then I'll, you know, whatever, define and email what it is. But even like sometimes you send your invoice and you're like, it's net 30 and you don't get paid till like 45 days after or 60 days after and you're chasing. What can you do then? I know Amelie, me and Amelie talk about this all the time. She was saying she adds like, okay, if it's after this point, I'm adding on like a 20% something onto it. <laughs> oh, it's, everyone wants to respond. <laughs> um, which is bomb, but I, do, do they pay you that? Like, have they? Yeah. Well, first of all, I had to talk to Jordy about that because I was like, Jordy, I added 20%. He was like, you can't do that. Yeah. And <laughs> I've been doing it for like two years. And um, there are le legal percentages, right, that you can add for... Um, every month, like it's 0.08%. You can, you can do it. I mean, Emiliana was charging an outrageous VIG on her unpaid invoices. It was 20% per month. Not, not, per, not per year, per month. That's, that's, that's extortion. That's extortionist. Yeah. I mean, that's like, that's a, that's, that's a monster. That's a monster style agreement. But I like it. I like it, Amelia. Keep it up. I was going to ask, um, so, <coughs> so you know how we were talking about getting in the habit of stating, um, I expect that you will compensate me if you use my ideas, et cetera, yep. on your email or whatever. So do you need that reply back saying, yes, I agree, or, or is, it, is it set because you've, you've emailed it and it's written? Well, I mean, it depends how you do it. What my preferred method, the way I like to operate, in my practice is I call people, I have the discussion, and then I say, as we discussed, as we agreed, and I just, then I'm just, I can craft whatever I want, basically. I mean, and then it's up to the other person to say, no, that's wrong. Otherwise, you're controlling the record, right? I, I have a question about uh, what if you create um, something that is using, um, uh, a medium in an unconventional way. So like, Such as? So I make outerwear out of blankets, and I recently had a designer copy my work. And um, I make them out of these types of blankets that they weren't making garments out of before. And then the person took my idea, and now it's everywhere. <laughs> That's... I'm, I'm sorry about that. That's kind of the way the fashion industry is. You know, that's my understanding is that's just how it is. Trends catch on, people copy each other's ideas. It's, it's really hard to protect that kind of thing in fashion. I mean, you, we see it all the time, right? You see something on the runway and then two or three months later, it's at Zara, right? The same, the same, kind, of, same kind of thing, right? That's just the cycle of fashion. Um, so that, you know, using a particular material for a garment, probably not protectable, although I have to, I have to just give a disclaimer here. I'm in no way a, an expert on the fashion industry. But it's, it's, it's good. Yeah, the fashion industry is really, really particular. And uh, it, it, it's, it's really hard to enforce intellectual property rights around, you know, designs and cuts of dresses. It's, I don't think it really gets done that much. Go ahead. Jay. Um, 
So it's not really a question. It's more of a statement. I was going to say, don't be afraid to ask and protect yourself, period. Like, people like, get your foot in the door. You can build your own door. You know, people say, this is America. Like, you could do it, literally, whatever you want to do. In L.A., we have a community that will fight with us, period. You can use social media. You can use resources like this for the law. You got to think with an abundance mindset. Like, there have been a lot of people been trying to come to me with my music, and they're just like, oh, I can't pay you. I'm like, oh, I can't work with you. Oh, sorry. I'm not sorry. <laughs> I put in my emails, you are not allowed to use any of my stuff. And if you do, you got to pay me. Or here's a split sheet. Where's that split sheet? ASCAP, BMI, like, what's up? This is how we collaborate. Sign this NDA. If somebody has a problem with signing the NDA, do not work with them, period. Follow your intuition. That's all I got to say. <laughs> Love y'all. Jay, where'd you get Thank your you. NDA from? Just internet? Like internet, yep. The, the internet. The same thing a lawyer would do. I think Jay might be a lawyer under the love. <laughs> in the back, in the back. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. Um, okay, so this question, it might be detailed, I'm not sure, but it's in regards to creative collaborations where money isn't um, upfront. It's more like something that has a potential to happen after the work has been produced. So um, in this instance that I'm talking about now, I'm producing a, a digital media series and working with um, a platform, which is still a small platform, and right now there's no money being exchanged, um, no actual... Um, you know, money like a sponsorship or anything at the, at the moment. But the idea is once it's been created, then we'll be able to generate money. And um, now I'm trying to figure out how to draft an agreement that um, has like fair percentages, but also outlines who the um, almost the authority of like decision lies with, if that makes sense. It does, and I think this is really common, and it's hard to have these conversations when you're working on something prospectively. Everybody's entering into the collaboration and goodwill, but you should have the conversations. You um, should have them because it's much, it's much harder to work it out later, especially if there's, a, there's actual money to split up. Now you're really in trouble, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, get it. Make an agreement first. Make an agreement before you do it, if you can. And some, it's hard to have those conversations, but sometimes they're necessary. Um, so could you maybe give some advice as to um, kind of what to look out for or things to think of to put in agreements when you are having these like preemptive agreements when money hasn't um, come into play yet? Things to put in the agreements? Sort of, yeah. Uh, well, like you said, probably a breakdown of control. Mm -hmm. uh, breakdown of who's getting what percentage of any money. I don't know. This is so abstract. It's hard for me to, okay. it's hard for me to know exactly what to tell you. Okay. And by the way, none of this constitutes legal advice. <laughs> we have a question. We have a question back here and we can also, <laughs> sorry, Alexander. that was funny. <laughs> Uh, so in the uh, in the culinary district, like I feel like in the culinary district, I feel like when you, as I was asking earlier, you were saying in like if I have someone that didn't do something that they agreed to, I should be like as we discussed, as we agreed to. Could I do that for like someone that owes me money as well? Like if you owe me money for cooking for you, but you didn't pay me all my money as we discussed, 
can I use that and hold that against them in court? Sure. Or? Well, I mean, it depends how they respond to it. It's more powerful if you do it, like, before you actually perform the contract. It's already been right? done. Yeah. The, well, it's, har it's harder to prove then. So well, I have, you can like, still, pictures and videos can, of me can, doing the, the actual task. But so. it's harder to prove what the agreement was. I mean, give me an example. That how much money do they tell you they pay you? Uh, $600. And what did you get paid? $300. And so now, I mean, that's scandalous. But now you want to go back and say, you pay me 300 but our agreement was 600 They might send you an email back. If you say, as we discussed, they're going to say, no, as we discussed, you're getting 300 Now it's just he said, she said. But if you did it before it's you did writing. it. It's in writing. Oh, it's in writing? Yeah. Okay. Well, what do you need, the, what do you need the, as the discussed part for if you already have it in writing? Then you're good. Because I feel like I don't know if text messages will even hold up as a contract if yeah, I wanted to it take will. them to court. It will. Text messages? Good. Yeah. Okay. Remember what we said. It's not, the text messages aren't the contract. You have an oral contract. Right. You got an oral agreement that's supported by evidence. Yes, we talked on the phone about it. Which is the text it, messages. And he, and he said that he would pay me, but I didn't never see the money. So. It's in a text message, but it don't say the exact amount. He said he's going to give me the money. Get those definite terms. Get the, get the definite terms. Remember what we said? Write them again. perform this within two weeks, you know? Like, I don't know, I'm just like, everything always has to come back down to writing, even if this is your best friend, you know? It's like, that's your only proof, that's your only go-to. So it's like, okay, we verbally discussed this, like Jordan was saying, immediately in an email. Okay, it was great talking to you today. Um, thank you so much, and I look forward to working for you on this day documentation Boom. Uh, at this time documentation performing doing this act documentation for this much documentation for this much money because that's just like it's informal but it's your proof is your protection you know right and you don't have to be all nasty about it hey like like who said hey it's great to talk to you i'm really looking forward to working you we agreed you'd pay me this much remember i'm going back to the first slide here terms clear enough that the parties understand what each is required to do Definite terms. Maya. Thank you. I definitely think it's, you know, become clear, but just to double down on it, I think if you have, just in the same way that you might have a PDF full of like, oh, these are the services that I provide type stuff for customers to view, you can have that same PDF or same document for all of the different services that you provide. like. You know, and then that you could feel in exactly. You can just input the information exactly as Uhuru was saying, you know. That way you protect yourself from the very beginning of the interaction. And if the customer is feeling nervous about that or like, oh, well, well, let me get back to you and stuff. Okay, they're not, they're not professional anyway. You know, they're, they're not the kind of per person that you should be servicing. Yeah, they were trying to like give me the runarounds basically and like, oh, you need to talk to this person. And when I talked to that person, he was like, send an invoice. So I did that, but I never seen anything back from it. I, just to chime in, I think that what um, the, the biggest thing here that you can come away with is like, your contract is your, is your effort and the way that you verbalize and, lang and, and apply linguistics, right? When you make things clear yourself and say, hey, like, 
um, and you, you insert the terms when you're doing business, you're, you're like writing as a contractor, correct? Like you're implementing the terms in, in the language. So it's like, it's just the way that we, um, like, you know, the way you text your friends is different from the way that you would text. You're probably gonna add more information. You know what I mean? Um, so you had, who had it? You had a question, right? It's in regards to like, I guess, like slander, libel, whatever. Um, so Defamation. Defamation. So let's say, for instance, um, you know, you have an agreement with somebody and then something happens where they're unhappy with um, whatever the situation is. And even though the, the terms have been outlined and everything like that, and then they try to threaten you by saying, you know, oh, I know people in this industry and, you know, it won't work again or, or, or things of that nature, kind of like threatening remarks. Do you, is there anything that you can do about that or is that just something that you have to sort of deal with when it comes with, um, I don't know, just wondering. I'm sorry to hear that. The truth is, I, I mean, I don't exactly I can't give you a definite answer for that. I mean, there are laws that protect people from defamation, but again, this, sometimes it just comes down to power dynamics, and I can't rec what industry are you in again? Oh, um, I, well, this actually wasn't, it didn't directly happen to me. It happened to a client of mine who, um, we worked together on a project where I, I directed her music video, and the editor, um, was asking for more money after the fact and to kind of get her to pay more money he was using those types of um, things to say like oh well da -da -da, whatever the case may be I mean he uh, had more quote unquote clout than she did so for her yeah. it was kind of like a that's, that's just kind of the way it goes down I mean it's not right but I, okay. I'm not sure what to say about that it's okay I have a second question so it's fine um, she has like she has like a, a a DM, but it's like it's not like that. I think they spoke about other things and that like it changed in on on the phone. So, but my second question is about tags, and I wanted to get maybe everyone's like ex experience because I know a lot of people will do things to get tagged on social media. Like so, um, and what a, a lot of times happens is that the person usually it's like a big celebrity or you know a much bigger person doesn't tag them um, on their posts or like adequately maybe they might like do some sort of like subliminal tag or they'll do it once or not at all so what is is there because social media is such like a weird um, situation is there any kind of um, ramifications that come with like doing a free service for like a relatively free um, like deliverable which is the tag it's not actually money but yeah I mean it could be, do you wanna, do you wanna say something? I'm still chewing, sorry. Say your name again. Christy Kinney. Um, I feel like with that, you could essentially do a contract like you would for money, but instead make sure that you have your terms in line, what you and the client agree to as far as like, tagging on social media or in exchange for a good, say, I know it's styling, like sometimes it's clothing or it is 
um, tagging on social media, making sure that you have everything in writing before you start the project, whether that be an email, a text message, a DM, a screenshot, because whatever it is, as long as it's in writing, that's your like backup. Oh, okay. So that's that's a very difficult. She she asked, what are the financial ramifications if someone's not tagged? Really, what's the value of the tag? That's that's the question, and that's a really really difficult question. I mean, I don't know if courts have looked at that, but how? Hey, you know, if these terms that we're agreeing to, which are all free, these are deliverables, the service, everything, it's all free. You know, somewhere within the contract would say if you know these terms aren't followed. Right, if the, if the tag is not provided, you will have to pay for the service. Something like that, I would imagine. Maya, really good idea. Good idea, yeah. Yeah, that's, a great, you, that's a great way to deal with that. I mean, get, you can get creative. Contract can be anything you imagine as long as the other party will agree to the terms and it's legal. I just wanted to like share something that ha happened like to me exactly like that. Uh, I was cooking for a, a big celebrity rapper and uh, I'm like, at the end, I'm like, you don't have to um, pay as long as you just shout me out on Instagram. Like, he has like four million followers. And then he was like, oh, well, I'm trying to be low key right now. I'm like, okay, just, you don't have to do it right now, just whenever you get a chance. How come, like, a week later, he shouted a whole nother chef out on his Instagram, which kind of was like, wait, hold on. Or just a separate like for they, the, the, separately, separately. He shouted them out, and I'm just like, okay. Did you hear Maya's suggestion? Yeah, that was a smart. That was that's smart. the that's the deal you make. Okay, I'll accept a tag in exchange for my work, but if you don't do it, then you'll have to pay me for the reasonable value of my work. Yeah. So I have a question too about like sort of how to approach this uh, scenario because a large part of like what I do with my brand is um, like to try to get visibility, I will send somebody a piece um, that I think sort of like matches the brand. I recently sent somebody, or I had a request for a celebrity and they told me that they were gonna use a piece for her tour and I like pulled whatever I could to get it done. And uh, recently I was just, um, <clears throat> trying to see if anybody was like reselling my pieces just because I'm like, want to know how everything's doing. And um, I found that that celebrity sold my piece on their Depop. Wow. Uh, and they never acknowledged my uh, messages and the stylist stopped responding when I asked them like, hey, how did it go? Did they use the piece? So they monetized on the piece that I sent them and I'm just trying to figure out how to protect myself so that doesn't happen. I, well, yeah, you, you can take adequate protection by saying before you send the piece, I expect you to wear this on tour and send it back to me. And if you don't, then you'll pay me for whatever the value of the piece is. Right. But is there, I guess it's, it's kind of a weird relationship because you're, a lot of the stylists are, they're... Um, like I'm a smaller designer, so I'm trying to figure out, you know, how do you work with people without um, ruffling people's feathers? And I know most of the people in the industry don't do that. They just send it and they're like, we'll take our losses. But I 
self-fund my entire company. So it that happens to me times however many times, I'm not going to be here anymore. So well, it sounds uh, like that's a business decision. Yeah, but is there a way to maybe include it like with the piece, like? So that when I ship it, maybe it's not up front, but then when they receive the piece, they're like, oh, shit, there's a note attached to this. That's a good idea. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know. The, 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 the bigger problem, and we'll, we'll talk about this later, is, okay, you've, you've been damaged. Now what are you going to do? Like, how, how, much, how much did this piece cost? Uh, $480. And, and where is the artist? Uh, there are, well... They live, I think they live in LA, but they're, they're all over the world, yeah. Okay, so now you're talking about suing somebody for $400, and it's a lot of work. It's yeah, a lot of work exactly. to get that amount of money. So it's, 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 one of the, it's one of the difficult things. It's one of the difficult things, like you've been damaged, now what? Now yeah. what do you do? And remember, you can go through the whole process. I have to remind people this all the time, including clients. You can go through the process. You can sue somebody. You can go to a trial. You can spend you know, a week in the courtroom. You can get a judgment. But if the person doesn't have any money, what, what are you going to do? Okay, right? A judgment's just a piece of paper. I mean, it sounds like this person probably does have money, but still... <laughs> It's, it's, it's tough. So it's not a question. It's just that don't work against um, Instagram tags. Don't do that. Like, I didn't hear you. Uh, don't, like, uh, it's not a question. It's like um, don't work for free. Don't work for tags. And don't work for tags because celebrities are the most ungrateful people ever. Yeah, I think that's forever, a, I think that's a great point. They don't respect the art. They don't respect that. They just want shit for free, and don't do that. Don't do that. It, certainly, in the beginning of my career, I did lots of work for free, and a lot of it was I felt really insecure. I felt like I didn't know what I was doing. I'm sure some people can relate to that. But you know what? You really have to value your own work or else other people aren't going to value it either. Yeah, Don't be afraid to ask for money for your services or for your products. Yeah. Just, you you got you to gotta value yourself. Yeah, that's what it all comes down to. It kind of even goes back to like what Samantha was saying about like being nervous about like if, well, if I sp state this, will it deter me from getting future work? Like if there's a certain value attached to your brand and you tell me that as a wardrobe stylist, and you tell me, well, this is the stipulations of what I want to use, and I want to use it bad enough, then I'm going to agree to it because I want to use your pieces because you're telling me the value of your work. And I agree to all types of shit. Like, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, if you lose this and you owe me three times therein of the value of the piece, and I take those risks all the time, but it's like I want to use it for this work, you know? So it's all about, like... A lot of us are inside of our heads about most of this stuff. You know, it's really, like, if somebody wants to work with you, they're going to work with you. That's the bottom line. You know what I mean? I'm sorry, so we have a lot of questions. Yeah, I just want to share some kind of business advice that one of my mentors gave to me, which is when you're negotiating with someone, you have to know that their goal is to get as much out of you as they can for as little as possible. And so your goal has to be to get as much 
out of them as you can for as much as possible. So like you really have to go into business negotiations, worrying and battling and defending and believing in fighting for yourself, you know? And, and so that means like, like this person said, not working for free or for tags or taking anything short of what you know your worth is. And that's just gonna help you spare yourself a lot of time of being abused. Right That's on. good advice. Did you have another thing to say? Um, you're okay? Okay. I think just to piggyback with what Uhuru said, um, you know, knowing that up front and like charging or finding out what your tax is on from the beginning, uh, if you're letting someone use your pieces, charging a percent to just like hold your pieces and then maybe adding on if they use it for a shoot or if they decide to keep it, you can add the tax on to that, I guess. Um, I've learned the hard way, especially being someone that provides services up front, um, making sure that you get commitment from your clients in some kind of way. Um, and that kind of upfront shows like you have value in your own work. So upfront, if you are sitting down with me, I'm charging a consulting fee. Or if you are uh, wanting to use my pieces or see my pieces, I am charging you a holding fee for these pieces. And then if you lose it, like Emilian said, then you are charged three times this amount thereof or whatever. Um, I just found that finding that little tax, whatever it is, so that you uphold your own worth from the very beginning has been helpful in the long run because, I mean, there will be times where your product will be stolen, where your idea will be copied, where your pieces will disappear or whatever. So having something up front where you understand that the fact that I'm coming here to work with you, I'm going to show, let you know that my worth is at least this percent of my time up front is a good way to kind of establish some boundaries when you're working with partners. So, I think that's a great point. Thank you. Do we have any other? Yeah. So, um, I do makeup, and so I, a lot of times when you work for uh, editorials, they're unpaid. And so I did an editorial for Interview Magazine, and when they reached out to me, I asked, you know, what is the rate? Is there a rate? It wasn't a cover. I had never worked with them before, and sometimes there's like something small. It'll be like $150 or something if it's not a cover and it's just inside the magazine. Well, they said, no, there's not a rate. Everybody works for interview uh, for credit. So I do the shoot, and the, they never use the photos. So I emailed the producer who was, is, is the person who contacted me, and I was like, hey, like, you know, thank you so much for this opportunity. I just wanted to like, know if I can send my credits. Don't get any response. So what I usually do is you credit a brand, and then you can, get, like, you can show that brand, and then they'll give you product for you, like crediting them in the magazine. So that's, you get something, you know? So then again, I reached out to her again. She never responds to me. And then the artist that we shot with posted one of the photos. So I messaged the photographer and I said, hey, are they not running these in the magazine? So she said, no, they decided not to go with them because they said the photos were too dark, they were too moody. So they're not using them. We reshot them and they used another makeup artist and a, like another hairstylist 
and I don't even know if they used a stylist, that it was just different, so I never got credit for that. So I'm just wondering, because I asked if there was a rate and they completely like ignored me, and I worked for credit, so I gave my whole day away to be on this job to work for fucking free and never get anything in exchange for it, and this person is just fell silent. You know, like, and all I can do is like hope that maybe the photographer is gonna use me for something else in the future that's gonna be as big as that. Um, and so I just, like, I'm wondering, like, do, is there anything that I can do about that at all? I think you can take some prophylactic measures and say, I'm going to work for credit but if for some reason the photos don't get published or you don't use them, then you'll pay my day rate. Any, anyone else? No, I just had a comment. Um, oh, did you have oh, a no. question? No, just it, I'm happy to hear everyone like using these examples and asking for these things that like in general may seem basic, but there's just so not basic because we're always doing it unless we're like giving, literally stating like, and this is something like I'm learning the more like larger jobs that I get is like stating exactly what you're gonna do for your rate and just like covering yourself in that way. And I guess earlier my comment when I was talking about like, oh shit, but like if I do this, like what if we don't get work? Obviously the fear is that we need the money. So we want to hold on to that opportunity, but if we actually like everyone, and this is probably obvious, but it's just more like encouragement for everyone to actually start doing that so it becomes a norm just because we don't have like a union or anything. Like unless you're like in an actor's union or doing working on a union job, you literally have no protection. You have no like, if the job gets used again, you're not getting residuals. It's like, it's done. You've made your rate and it's done. So we actually have to start implementing it by doing it. Um, and so even if we start with just us and just that thing that I was talking about, like this little contract or that you're, that Jordy, excuse me, was talking about, like people might be surprised to receive this shit, but like it's simple and why, and why not do it or just state it? Like we all need to just practice stating it really clearly and then also stating like, okay, this is net 30 or I expect to get paid after this. So it's clear and we all have our own backs and that when we send that invoice, even if we have to chase, it's like, this was very clear, like, so just yeah. more encouragement. Great point, good, good hygiene. Yes, thank that's you. What we're, that's what I call it. Good hygiene. Having, having that hygiene, remembering to do that, remembering to follow up with the email, get the email follow up. You know, and yeah, it's, do, it, do it in a friendly way. You don't have to you know, sound super cold and transactional. You can do it in a nice way. But also really quick, if imagine we all start doing this and then they're like, okay, well, I don't want to work with you. I'm going to go to the next. And then that next person's doing it too. It's like, it's over. Okay, yeah. Right. I mean, I, and just to echo some of the, the things that are being said and add on, you know, specifically to you, it, in the vein of confidence and, and building yourself as it, building your business, it can be super, it can be super um, like easy and 
easy to integrate into your current into your current style of doing business because if it's like a PDF or you know something that you have the conversation and you're about to do this work like hey you know they called you up we need somebody to do makeup or whatever on this set blah 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 you get there you you say okay here's my PDF with all these terms or whatever I can airdrop it to you right now I just need your confirmation text and I'll get right to work you know it could be anything like that you can integrate it into your process just whatever you have to do to protect yourself because I think that's the, the ultimate goal here yeah and I'm also down to like to have hella PDFs that you guys we can all have the same PDFs <laughs> share that PDF door okay uh, I got a little question about trademarking that's um, the next topic that's the next topic, so know, we'll get there. Do you Wait. want to pass the microphone behind you? Wait, it's, it's, it's about protection for fashion. I was going to say, would it be possible to like take pictures of your design and your font and then trademark that? So if somebody used your design, you could be like, hey, bruh, <laughs> let me cop that percentage, you know? My understanding of the fashion industry is that you can't actually trademark uh, like the pattern, like the design of the garment. You can only trademark the graphics. That's right. The mark, the mark, and we're going to talk like about that you, next. Like if your shirt, like if your shirt has like a designed image on it, you can trademark the image, but you can't trademark the like shape of the garment. That's that's a great seg segue into trademarks. Or does that apply to you? Because you're using blankets, right? Like, so you can't trademark the fact that you're using the blankets, right? I, I don't think so. I mean, it's also like the way that I'm using it because I've, I've sort of like engineered my own system for replicating that process, um, which I haven't seen before. Um, I don't know. That's what I want to find out <laughs> if that's possible. And, like, if it's worth, uh, I don't know, it sounds expensive. <laughs> Patents are very expensive. I don't know exactly what your process is, but um, it's something we could talk about afterward. Um, a trademark is exactly what it sounds like. It's a mark that's used in trade. Like logo. Logo. That's exactly what it is. I always, it helps me to think about the purpose of a trademark, which is to avoid consumer confusion. So people know what they're getting. That's the point. This is one of the well, most well-known trademarks on the planet. The Nike swoosh. This, is, this image is kind of, um, you know, it's not the best resolution, but you can see there's many parts of this that are registered, right? The Nike the way the logo is, the swoosh, and the tag, just do it. Those are all components of this mark used in trade. And the, the purpose is so people know what they're getting. These, is, these are examples of infringing marks. Nikki? <laughs> these marks are... My, Mikey? <laughs> the people that use these marks could be sued for trademark infringement and the, the idea is we want people to know that when they're buying something with the swoosh, they know what they're getting. They know they're getting genuine Nike. They're not getting Mikey, <laughs> Neary, Likey, right? That's the idea. 
Go ahead. And they trademarked all three um, of the portions. So even if you just got a swoosh, you know it's Nike. You don't have to have all three components to just do it the Nike order. Uh, True. Check mark. True. Any of those components. And I'll show you this slide. Look at this. This is a can of Coca-Cola. Look how many trademarks are on here. I think there's 10 trademarks just on one can of Coca-Cola. Yeah, the stylized writing of Coca-Cola, the actual name Coca-Cola, the, the, the picture of the, of the bottle is a registered trademark, the quote-unquote dynamic ribbon, that line, that's part of the trademark. Uh, it says Coke down there in the corner, that's also trademarked. Look at that. That's just one can of Coke. So the big boys know what they're doing. They trademark all of their intellectual property. Can, can I ask a question? <laughs> yes. Okay, so, okay. I don't want to call myself out, but could I get sued for my sisters with invoices logo? Because it's a play off of SWV's It's About Time album. And I don't know, because I see everyone, I mean, local culture is like a big part of everything we see, right? Like you see Balenciaga. I mean, theoretically. Theoretically. I, this, is, this, is, this is the real. Damn. This is the real. If you, got, <laughs> if you got big enough, or if you were making enough money off selling that shirt, you might get a letter. But, you know. Don't as, do it, Taj, Lily, and Coco. <laughs> what if it's, um, like, for example, the Coca-Cola, does it, if that's a font, that exist, but it's just, are they trademarking just the way that they used it? Is that, for example, I'm using a font, let's say, for my logo, and it's the way that I've arranged the letters. Can I trademark that even though somebody owns a trademark to the font, if I shifted it enough? Like. It's not saying the same thing, though. I, I, mean, I, I think it doesn't have to say Coca-Cola. I, I can't but give you. For example, Coca-Cola, like yeah. they have all these trademark, they're on trademarks on this, but is does that mean that they came up with that specific font that they own? Yeah, I think that is their font. I mean, you see a lot of Coca-Cola knockoff stuff. I mean, and I don't know whether that stuff is sufficiently transformative as to not violate the trademark or if it's just flying under the radar or bootlegged, it's, it's really hard for me to say. But the point here is the mark, all these marks that are used in trade are protected. And in the case of trademark, also like copyright, you just have to use the mark to get protection. But registering the mark, you see these little um, R's on the Nike, that's a registered trademark. When you register that, you have a federal presumption that you own the mark, which is important. It's important if you're, re if you're using a mark in trade and you're making money off it, trademark it. Pay whatever it costs to get it trademarked. Say again. Do you have to pay for it? You can put the R, but it doesn't have any significance if you didn't file it with the U.S. Uh, Patent and Trademark Office. Go oh, ahead. Yeah. Uh, so I, I guess this kind of brings me back to my question earlier with uh, the, uh, the DBAs. Like, if I were to own the name of a business and someone else uses it, but they're not necessarily taking a business away from me, 
could I still like give them like a cease and desist letter or? Yeah, in fact, you should. Yeah, right. You should. It's a really important aspect of trademark law that you need to vigilantly enforce your rights. If you see somebody out there using the same trademark as you, you could actually be deemed to have waived your rights or abandoned your rights. So it's very, very important that you vigilantly enforce, enforce trademark rights. Like, even if they, like, what if they so happen to have, like, had, like, used this handle a little bit longer than I have, and I just happened to see this, and I was like, oh, but they didn't get the, the DBA. Do I still, like, have the ability to do that? Because I paid for it, and I legally own it, even though... Yeah, let's talk, let's talk, let's talk real stuff here. What, so give us, give us the examples so we can have some more context. So basically, I have, I own the, the name of this thing. What's the name? It's called How do you spell it? Okay. Yeah, right? I own that. Yeah. But someone else, oh, sorry. I, I don't know why I can't do this. But someone else uh, has that as their and has tried to do like uh, events with it and they've posted a little bit longer than I have that I've seen. So they have like a, I guess what you'd say, like copyright. But I legally own the name, so we're... How do you legally own the name? Because I have a DBA. Like, I, I went to the county and registered it. Like, you know... Th that doesn't mean that you mm -hmm. necessarily own it because it's not registered as a mark in trade. Having okay. a DBA is not the same thing as a trademark. It just says... Okay. It just tells people, this is my alias, and I'm doing business okay. as this name. Business. a logo or something. Like a logo. You... you you yeah. may very well have a trademark, but yeah. it's probably not protected if it's not registered. I okay. mean, you have, you have some kind of protection just from using it, yeah, yeah. but you don't have the presumption. What, and how that applies to the, mm -hmm. the Instagram handle, Yeah, I'm not exactly sure. And, but one of, you know, you might have a, you might have a hard time trademarking it. And, okay. you know, uh, I, I'm certainly not a trademark expert. I've done a little bit of it, and it, I find it really uh, complicated, mm -hmm. and it's just like, it's way too much for me. I would never do one again. But you see all of these different registrations. It's like, it gets very specific. So if, like, you were to, if you were to register, it would be like, for this very specific use mm -hmm. and with this the language, and it may or may not get improved because is not sufficiently novel yeah, enough yeah, yeah. to be to be protected you know they'll say like certain certain words unless they're used in a really specific context can't really be trade yeah. yeah yeah I mean I don't know I'm not I, okay. I don't work at the trademark board okay but I'm just I'm just telling you these I'm issue spotting for you right okay, okay you okay. could have you could have issues one it's not actually registered two that person's using it for a totally different use mm -hmm. you know okay. you can have you can have people that use the same name but do different things right the examples yeah. examples are failing me but um Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. If they're if they're different, if they're different, the trademark office is going to say, "Well, those are you know you're using to promote music. They're using to you know promote. sell. So those 
you know, your trademark doesn't doesn't apply. That's they're not they're not infringing on your your on your use. Unless they're the same thing. Yeah. Did you have a question next? Sort of. Sort of. And then answered, I think. And then Apple. I wanted to point out, like when when Apple computer came out, they were I think the Beatles had trademarked Apple already for music. And when, uh, so when, um, when Apple came out as a computer, it wasn't really infringing on that, but when they started streaming music and iTunes, it became an issue because it was already trademarked in music. So like you could, you could, uh, you can own it in different uh, business or medium where it wouldn't infringe on each other, but once they started streaming iTunes, they have to pay the Beatle a large sum of money, which is why they haven't been in iTunes for a long time until recently, because they finally settle it or something like that. I didn't know that. That's a great example. Yeah. App, yeah, Apple, Apple Music was, it was the, Apple Records was the Beatles yeah. record label. Yeah. Jay. Okay, uh, so I created my own font, and I made my own logo, and I made my own basic, I made my own designs, as you would say. When it comes to trademarking, what, to protect it in all colors, I have to do it in black and white, and then I have to state that it's protected in all colors, right? Like, in all colors, shapes, forms, and alterations? This is a question I don't know the specific answer to. I don't know if the trademark office would let you do that. Um, you might actually have to get, like, several different trademarks for different colors. I don't know if you could say, like, every, every color in the rainbow. It's a hard one to say. I don't have that kind of specific experience. I'm sorry. My question was between copywriting and trademarking. Yeah. So with copywriting, it seems like, you know, you can be self-protected just by having that, like, physical work. True. But with trademarking, you actually need to pay for it to be registered as a trademark. No. You have protection just from using the mark in trade. Okay. But... Because I have trademarks, but I also purchased the artwork from an artist and have, like, written contracts from them saying, this is yours now. You purchased the copyright to the artwork. I purchased the artwork, and they said, this is your logo now. And, like, I'm, after you paid me what I asked for, I release ownership of this pro this. This is for you, right? This logo. These well, are logos. That actually like is the two things together. Because the artist, the graphic designer who made the logo, they have a copyright over the logo. And then your use of it in trade creates the trademark. So, and, but, I'm, but I am technically, it's trademarked. Or do I need to get it like registered under trademark? Registration is much more common for trademarks yeah. than for copyrights. Right, exactly. That's kind of what I was gathering from what you were saying. but It's much more common. Because pretty much... By being saying it's much more common, it's like it's much more protected in court. No, I just mean that the I just mean that it's it's more common for people to register trademarks. I mean, it's uh, I I mean I think it's just it's just practical. I think if you write if you write a novel, for instance, okay, let's you write you write a song. It's fixed in a tangible medium. It's easier to prove the creation of it. You know, getting it registered is really just an extra step. Whereas with a trademark, it's much more difficult to prove, like, 
when it went into use, where it's being used. It's, it's so it's it's it's. I think practically people people register those trademarks more often than than register copyrights. Um, I had a question. So um, I work as a production designer, and um, a lot of the times. Um, I have to figure out whether I have to hide a logo or alter a logo. Do you know what the rules are about those like logos in film or television? And like, because I was trying to research it and I was reading something that was saying like that if it's, even if it's not a logo, if it's a recognizable product, that without seeing the logo, you immediately recognize what company it belongs to, that that could be a problem? And it's a question of fair use, right? Yeah, so it's like, like for example, I tried to use like the Fisher Price pop and play or whatever that little lawnmower thing is, and I was told that that item itself, the design of the item, is recognizably linked to um, Fisher Price, and so I would not be able to use that. Right, right, and and uh, I didn't prepare anything on on fair use, uh, but I think what you're getting at is what what kind of production is this? Uh, like various, but music videos, commercials, and movies for a big company. Uh, music videos for like recognizable record labels and artists, but most like legitimate productions will have errors in emission insurance, and it needs to go through a clearance process, and someone will look at it. And the general practice is just better. You're better safe than sorry, and they'll just blur out everything, especially if an attorney's looking at it. You know, their job is on the line. They're usually, I think, a little bit overprotective, right? Mm -hmm. um, whether something would qualify as fair use is really a case-by-case -case basis. Um, fair use is a really specific topic that um, is not, I'm not gonna cover in this presentation, but I can come back and talk about it. Um, oh, hello, so I'm kind of going back to contracts. I just yes. thought of another question. Sure. Um, so when musicians work with other musicians or engineers, do you recommend any protocol for, I guess, I, well, I know technically everyone owns the song. Every producer, every engineer owns the song. But do you have any recommendations like for prior to collaborating? Because it's so fluid. You know, you're just like working together. You're just making music. Or you know how we talked about the emails after, but with... Um, songs i don't you don't really email after a text like hey so yeah once we once this is done like i don't know yeah i'm pretty ignorant about what the actual practice is in terms of uh people collaborating on on writing music together but it's always good to have that conversation before you write the song not after it's much hard it's much harder to to prove it up right i guess it goes back to that weird decorum right of like I don't want to do it, but I don't know, maybe we just, we just have to start doing it. Yeah, and it's a, I mean, it's a modern concept, the actual musicians being credited as part of the song, right? I mean, right. every Motown song, the publishing goes to Barry Gordy, even though he, you know, he didn't write any of the music, really. 
Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say, like, if you and your friend are like, yeah, we're going to link up, and, you know, we're talking, we're talking music, it could be, hey, girl, can't wait to see you at 7. Here's my... And then you send that PDF or like whatever. And it's just like, if we come out with something and you can design, you can design all of those, all of those things. And if your friend says, yes, please still come over at seven after you sent that, you know, then anything that y'all create as detailed in your, you know, in your PDF or whatever it might be, they'll have to, I mean, they're agreeing to that if they meet with you. You know, it, it is weird, but it, it's again that confidence thing that we've been talking about. Hopefully, hopefully it's helpful. Um, I kind of want to know if this has happened to anybody. Um, I know in music, being paid in residuals is something, or like even I guess maybe actors too, I don't know. Um, but recently someone tried to pay me in um, YouTube stream money for directing a music video. And um, yeah, um, kind of like residuals. So like I would receive um, X percent of money that was made from the streaming of the music, because the music video was on Vivo, which I recently learned was a big deal, I guess, I don't know. And um, <clears throat> so, whatever, but when I Googled it and I looked into it, I found out that um, YouTube, you have to reach 10,000 likes in order to even receive monetization for the video, or likes, views, whatever. And then even th after that, it was like very hmm, shady, yeah, about how you make money. And then they tried to give me the rights to this money for only three years, and it was like a brand new song or whatever. So. I just wanted to know if anybody's ever experienced that and what like their um, thing was about it. Has anybody had that experience? No, I, I directed and actually filmed um, the. I directed the the video and I filmed it too, and I also created directed because I made a treatment and everything prior to, and um, last minute I ended up having to do a lot of work, but um, so they wanted to like somehow compensate me the manager of the artist wanted to then, they gave, sent me a contract and that was the money. And then I got, kind of got upset because I'd rather have done it for free at that point because what are you really saying? And then, and then on top of that, with that payment of the streams, I would have lost all the rights to the, the thing at that point too. Right, so I don't know. Hey. Love this idea. Looked over the contract and came up with some with some changes. Yeah. Uh huh. Oh, you're just wondering if you were like the only one that's ever had that happen to them, right? Yeah, that was the question. Anybody? YouTube? You gotta Money? ask. Is that like Bitcoin? You gotta ask. Put yourself out there. <laughs> don't ask, don't get. I have it embroidered into my suits. I'm not kidding. Did I thought did you? I thought you had your hand up after, or wait, and then, wait, sorry, wait. <laughs> sorry, I'm so It's just more of a little statement. I'm an independent artist, and I was gonna say, always send people your cue sheets, do not be afraid, you are a business, you are an independent artist, you are a freelancer, you gotta protect yourself, period. Friends is cute, but like, does friends pay bills? Like, I mean, it's cool if you got some friends that pay your bills, but like, Friends and clout and likes, they doesn't pay bills. And getting your foot in the door doesn't always pay bills. We're like, it shouldn't matter about money. I'm like, but then you see people on Skid Row in LA, it does matter. I'm sorry. Not sorry. Um, also, what else? 
Man, YouTube, there's a little thing about YouTube. People like, oh, be a YouTuber. YouTube kind of takes your rights. They kind of take over the rights to your things and your work. Um, I was going to say, if you're an independent artist, you're putting out stuff, use Vimeo because you can actually like, like it's like Bandcamp, but for like film almost. You can like have people pay you, compensate you properly for your work. So I would look into that research, look at these contracts, period, before you sign it. Even your cell phone bill, like, look at that. All right. And then if yeah, others, don't be afraid to read a contract. You, you all can do it. I'm telling you, it's not, it, you don't really need any kind of special knowledge. You might get, you know, might be some things you don't understand, you can look up any provision in a contract on the internet and start to understand it. Don't be too intimidated to read it, it's just, just language. Yeah, I was gonna say, um, in that I think just for all freelancers, the two really, really important things to ask for are what is the scope of the project and what's the usage, because that's how you, protect yourself and that's how you say, okay, well, my rate should be higher or based on what, like, so for example, like if the usage what is like United States, US, six months internet, that's going to be different than, like in, in the usage, they should also tell you with the possibility of, like, if we use it in this type of way, you will get paid X amount of money. Did, was that at all in your... Oh, what? I'm sorry, I think I missed the first part of it. Who who was telling you, like the actual Vivo or YouTube or the... I personally like Jordy too. I'm not quite sure. Maybe you know a little bit more about streaming. Obviously, it's like the percentage, but I would just say that was one of these things in the future for anyone. Just also in terms of like learning experience of being like once something like that happens, just be particular to ask the next time in terms of like what um, if it's used in a certain type of way. Because I feel like obvi obviously we're all always like learning from experience and then asking. Unfortunately, we don't know those things before. But yeah, always ask about usage and like now you know, obviously, sorry, maybe this is like redundant or whatever, but um, in terms of if, if it's going to be used on any of these types of platforms, you can state it in your contract. Like, I won't turn my rights over, but you'll take the residuals or whatever. Um, but yeah, usage and scope of project. I, I do not know about streaming rights. Um, it's a good question for an entertainment lawyer, and we can maybe try to get an entertainment lawyer here. Um, yeah? We should, we should get one. Yeah, next time. So we've been going about two hours. I have some more to do. Just, do people need a break?
How's everybody yeah, feeling? Yeah, we've been going hard, you guys. Um, how are you guys feeling? Do you want a, a break, and then we can go into small claims, or is that a quick thing, or what do you guys, how are you guys feeling? Yeah, it's pretty quick. It's pretty quick. Uh, we talked about oil contracts. Small claims. Do you want a break? Emilian asked me no. to talk a little bit about small claims. No, you're okay. Small claims in California is for suits up to $10,000. You cannot collect more than $10,000 in small claims. The advantages of it is that you can represent yourself. There's a form that Emilian has distributed. Uh, if you go online, just Google Small Claims California, it's a fillable PDF. It's really easy to fill out and the courts have resources to help people with small, with small claims. There's a small claims self-help desk. Um, there's a lot of resources for people who wanna file small claims. Basically, you, you file the form, you don't have to put in a lot of legal language, you just basically talk about what the issue is you file it, you pay a filing fee that, that scales depending on how, what the value of your claim is, and then you need to serve the complaint on the defendants. I have a question about that. Go ahead. I tried to file, file small claims on my past slumlord, and she kept dodging me trying to give the letter. Like, I paid, like, twice um, to get it served. Um, and then I kind of gave up because I didn't have money. Is it, is it until the papers are served is not necessarily a claim or could I have kept going with it? I just, I didn't know. Yes, service, personal service is one of the hallmarks of due process in this country. You need to serve people with legal papers, um, especially with an, an initial legal paper. Uh, it's, it's a little bit different for corporations Every corporation that does business in California is required to be registered with the California Secretary of State. If you go on the California Secretary of State website, you'll see that every business registered to do business in California, every corporation or LLC, has an agent for service of process. This is an agent that is designated to accept service or process so you don't have to go around looking for somebody. But if it's an individual, you basically need to put the paper close to their hands, get somebody to give them the paper, a process server. Um, in extreme examples where someone dodges service for a long time, there's other methods of service like service by publication. You can actually have the, the notice published in a newspaper. I don't know a lot about the how that works these days, but basically, yeah. An individual, you need, to, you need to put the legal papers in their hand. So if it gets in a newspaper and they don't read the newspaper, it's still called, it's still processed? It's still... Yeah, I mean, basically, you need, to, you need to get an order from the court to allow service by publication. You need to show that you've made uh, several attempts to at personal service, and you can't usually, you, you give an affidavit or a declaration from the process server saying, you know, I, I showed up at this person's house three times and couldn't find them. Go ahead. Yeah, just about, about this um, claim. So it would be on the responsibility of you. Would it be our responsibility to serve it, like not the court or someone else? I just asked that because I'm like, okay, the slumlord, I had a situation like this before, didn't go all the way with the papers, but I'm like, all right, so if I give it to her, couldn't she just say that she never got it and it's just a he say, she say, 
I keep trying to go after it for a while. There's what's called proof of service. Sure. It's a, it's a form. It's a declaration under penalty of perjury. You say, you know, I served this person at this location on this time. And you can, you can serve things yourself, but a real surefire way is to get a process server. There's people who do this for a living. They're good at it. Um, it costs, you know, usually less than $100 for someone to, to, to get something served by a professional. And, you know, that's all they do. They stake people out. They show up. Um, some of them have, you know, pretty ingenious methods of, of serving people who are, who are difficult to serve. Um, I've actually uh, had to take somebody to small claims court and won. Um, so I've been through the beginning to the end process of it all. What's your name? Uh, Francesca. Francesca, why don't you tell us about that experience? Um, so I had a uh, tenant staying with me and ended up walking out on their rent, which was about, I think it was $1,200. Um, so I ended up going to our local LA County uh, courthouse. I got this exact document filed it. Um, I served them with a sheriff, which was the, my best option was to have a sheriff go to her office and serve her the documents. What did it that was, cost? I'm going to say like 30 bucks, no more than that. It, I mean, the whole process cost me personally no more than $100 to get through. It was just my own time. And luckily I work in production, so I have, you know, pockets of open weekdays to go and serve paperwork or whatever, um, but met with the judge, ended up having, she didn't have enough money within her um, bank account to pay, so she had installments. And it was her and I agreeing upon the installments itself. Um, at the end, I think the last payment started in September, her last payment was in February. Um, yeah, she paid it all, and that was it. We walked away, clean slated, and it's one of the easiest processes you can ever do. It's If you just have the time and like take the steps to do it and file all the paperwork to get it done and the people downtown at the court system are very helpful and they'll you know walk you through each step and like you said go online and googling is the easiest thing to get all your information and, and what, get it done. What was it like when you showed up with your landlord? Describe, I mean describe oh, that no, process. Oh no I was the landlord. She was, she oh, was you're renting, the landlord. She was renting a room from me in my apartment like my small two-bedroom apartment. Got it. And I just, for my own safety, I decided that I was going to drop a contract for her to sign prior to her moving in. Thank God I did that because she was able to, she ended up walking out and, you know, kind of saying fuck off of the contract. But in her, she had to pay everything back at the end of the day. And in my defense, thank God I had that contract to kind of present to the courts and say, look, listen, I checked all of my boxes and I did everything proper, but for her, she walked out the day of her rental due, so. And tell us about your experience with, with the judge and, and what that, oh, it's, pretty, not, it's pretty informal, right? Yeah, it's very simple, it's very quick, and they're not ignorant. They're, they know what's going on, and if you, I know she did try to play that she didn't have any money, but then, you know, he's saying, well, well, if you don't have any money, how are you able to, like, afford to even live in California and continue to afford to live in California? So how are you, you know, he Good asked point. her proper questions to say, look, listen, you know, don't take me as an imbecile sitting up here on the court. 
So it's, there's ways to play, I mean, even she dressed down to like nothing. So there's ways that she tried to play the courts that worked against her in a way. So it, if you ever have that private problem, go for it. Like it's, it's all worth it in the end. Um. Hey y'all, I'm out, but I just wanted to encourage you to check out the yellow signs on the way out and just leave something, a few dollars, you know, because I do assemblies too, and it's not, even though we're in a nice space, we do fund this stuff out of our own pockets, so a donation helps, you know, and I know we all learned something here today that probably will save us or make us a lot of money, so, you know. Thank you, Haru. No, no, thank you. That was really, that was really sweet. Yeah, Haru's assembly is hella tight, by the way. Um, okay, cool. So, we have been here for two hours. Is there more, Jordy? I think this is the last slide. Well, That's the last one. I was going to talk about, you know, whether you really need a lawyer. I think there's sometimes a, you know, a presumption like I can't do this myself or I need a lawyer. I think a lot of things people can do by themselves, especially these days. There's so much information online. There's so many resources for people. You don't necessarily need a lawyer for every deal that you do. A lot of times in the creative world, lawyers can help you by actually deal making or adding value to the deal. If, if there's somebody who works in your particular industry, it's more about, you know, their knowledge. Like entertainment lawyers, it's all about what they know, what they know, what the standards are, that's really what's more important than actual contract terms. Uh, these are some resources. There's, you know, the internet, there's books, there's these Nolo Press books, they're kind of the old school do-it-yourself law books. California Lawyers for the Arts has a lawyer referral service. I think it's like $35 and they'll hook you up with a lawyer who will give you a, a free consultation. Um, that's basically it. The one other thing I wanted, to, I wanted to say about small claims is just reinforce this point about litigating because one of, one of the one of the uh, hard truths of litigation is even if you win, a lot of times all you have is a piece of paper. And it's really, really hard to collect judgments, even for professionals. What, wait, say that again? Oh, yeah. What's the judgment? Well, well let's, say you, let's say you sue somebody, you go to small claims court, you get a a, a judgment is what you'll get if you win your case. The judge, you'll get a judgment with an award of money, and then that can be hard to collect. I have that's, a, that's the point. I have a question. Yes. So I thought that, um, well, in Chicago, if you go to court and the judge rules in your favor, they will, the court will pay the person who uh, favor they ruled in, and you have to pay back the court costs. That's cool. That's a good method. Because the state, you know, in the, the state has uh, more power to collect from people than individuals Right, and do. if you don't pay, you go to jail. That's, a, that's an interesting system. 
So like that's it. not the case in California? That is not the case in California. Yeah. It can be hard to get people to pay, which is why often, you know, almost all civil cases, cases that are not about people going to jail, settle prior to trial. Like, like 97%, I don't know what the percentage is, something extremely high. They almost always settle. That's the easiest way to get your money is reach some kind of compromise. Great. Judge Judy pays everybody, right? Yeah. Winners and losers. Oh, really? Judge Judy pays everybody? What? You get flued out too? The production company pays out the claim. What? So that's why everybody does it. So both people, like, you'll get your money. Any other questions? <laughs> if you sue a big corporation and you win, it's much easier to get paid. Yeah. Yeah. Even like you take a big corporation to small claims court. Absolutely. People do it. People do it a lot. People do it for consumer claims. Um, is and it's actually you know people I remember there's a big case, there was a publicized case where somebody had a problem with their Toyota and they took Toyota small claims and got like the maximum judgment and one of the advantages is that a corporation cannot send a lawyer to small claims court they have to send like an individual who works for a corporation they and can't after, send a representative like after how long should you <laughs> what do you mean well I think I'm gonna get paid next week, but I just did a really big like art programming job for a major um, corporation and they were supposed to pay a long time ago and they paid me, I mean, not a long time ago. It's been over two months since the job has finished and I started in November and they paid me like the budget to program the thing, but then they haven't paid me my ticket sales or my curation fee. Okay, import, important point that we haven't talked about. There's something called Statutes of limitation. I don't know if you've heard that term. They're, they're different for different claims or causes of action, but you need to file claims within the statute of limitations or else the claim disappears. And they have them for crimes too. Like came up recently with R. Kelly, there's like, you know, statute of limitations even on, on, on sexual assault crimes. Right or or Bill Cosby. This came up in the Bill Cosby thing. People were women were trying to sue him, and the government was trying to prosecute him. And he was saying this stuff happened like 20 years ago. The statute of limitations have run. Even if I did do it, you can't. I can't be prosecuted. And the same is true of civil actions too. Like for breach of con contract in California, usually it's state by state. In California, you have four years to file a lawsuit based on a breach of a written contract. Two years for an oral, con oral contract. That's one of the distinctions. Mm. So it's it's different for different things. If you get if you like get in a car accident, like most personal injury lawsuits, I think need to be filed within two years. Does that answer your question? Yeah, but I mean, like, technically, it's been two months, and my thing 
was net 30 basically and it's been two months and they still have not given me an answer when so it's like could I do it next month or tomorrow or does that you're actually going to go to court no I mean I think they're going to pay but I've been thinking about it because I'm like what if they don't pay me and then there's rumor that they're going bankrupt and all this crap and I'm just like <laughs> but it's like a major corporation business decision you know, your decision, as long as you're within the statute of limitations, you can file it. I mean, I don't need to tell you, I think freelancers not being paid on time is, is really, really common, right? It's common in most industries where, where freelancers do business. I mean, it's, it's unfortunate, but that's just, that's the life. And can you say the percentage again? Uh, like, remember we talked about with my situation, like, per month? Like, how does that work in terms of tacking on? Okay, Emilion asked me about what's a reasonable, uh, a reasonable rate of interest to charge, and I just said, you know, baseline 10% per year. I think that's, that's pretty reasonable, and most courts would, would uphold that. So then you break that down by 12 months, right? By each month that they're late, or like every 30 days that they're late, right? And you apply right. that. So, it's, so if, you're, if your contract was for the rate of $500, 10% per year would be $50. So it's $50 per year. Uh, divide that by 12 would be your monthly. I can't, 50 divided by 12, anybody? <laughs> uh, it's, it's probably around like... It's like less than $5. Right. Right. If, if that's what you're suing for or going for. Um, okay, cool. Um, by the way, Samantha is how I met Jordy. You guys went to college together. I met a lot of really cool people because of Samantha. We talk about this stuff all the time, literally. So you asked some really good questions. All of you did. And I just want to give, let's give each other a round of applause. No, there's like so much knowledge in this room. Thank you, Jordy. Thank appreciate you so much you. for having me. It was a real pleasure. No, really appreciate you. And also the playlist was by Jordy. Thanks a lot. I don't know if I said that. Thank you. I brought some business cards. If anybody wants one, oh. feel free to take one. There's business cards up here. Yes, um, hit me should. up anytime. Oh, thank you, Jordy. Thank you, guys. Thank you for coming. We have a donation bowl here if you got cash. Pays for the snacks. Um, maybe we could play that playlist on. And you're all welcome to hang out. If you want to do karaoke while we clean, we like usually do that too. <laughs> I feel like it might be Jordy's bedtime though. We really went through those questions. So